the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management, South Africa's leading provider of alternative investment funds and co-investment strategies. With over 8 billion rand in assets under management across South Africa, the UK and the USA, Westbrook provides South African high net worth individuals, wealth managers and institutions with a unique gateway to the world of alternative investments. This includes private debt, hybrid capital, real estate, private equity and venture capital. Visit westbrook.co.za to find out more. Westbrook Alternative Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider, FSP number 46750. Before we start this fantastic episode of Magic Markets, I do need to tell you that the contents of this podcast are for information purposes only and they do not constitute investment advice, nor do they represent a solicitation of any member of the public to invest in any security. The investment vehicles managed by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management are available to qualified or sophisticated investors only. All listeners should seek professional financial advice prior to making any investment. Welcome to episode 76 of Magic Markets and we are back with the Westbrook team which is always really interesting. We get to learn all about alternative assets and how they work and the stuff to think about when investing in them and we get to tap into the space of wonderful professionals who work at Westbrook. I always make Mo and I feel a bit dumb and it'll be no exception this week, I have no doubt. But before we welcome Rob Greve to the show, Mo, welcome from Canada where you have electricity as usual. Yeah, Ghost, uh, it's always a pleasure doing this with you and also a pleasure to uh, connect with a fellow South African uh, who is across the pond in the UK, uh, having recently joined the Westbrook team up there. Rob Grieve, welcome to Magic Markets. Thanks to you both. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of you both. So I look forward to the chat. So Rob, you're currently in Joburg, living the uh, ESCOM dream, having moved to the UK about seven months ago, I think. So maybe you've come back just to remind yourself of you know, why you've, uh, why you've moved on to a country with electricity and working roads. But all jokes aside, uh, it is a recent move for you, isn't it? How have you, how have you found it as a finance professional moving across the pond? It's a big move. No, it, it has been a big move. I yeah, moved with my family across in kind of November through December last year and uh, been, been super interesting from a work perspective, I think probably more so than at a personal level. I think we knew what to expect from that side. But uh, work-wise, I think the market there from a private equity perspective has some similarities, but is also incredibly different and nuanced in a lot of other ways too. Uh, so it's been yeah, very interesting and uh, for me a learning learning curve and slowly but surely gaining some momentum there. Yeah, I can imagine. And before we get into some of the more specific questions, I think it'll be important for us to know how you fit into the Westbrook infrastructure, which is on the private equity side. And this is a relatively sort of new push for them, isn't it? So maybe it's worth just spending a minute or two on you know how you kind of fit in at Westbrook as we've gotten to know each of the team members on several shows. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I am responsible for building out the Westbrook Alternative Asset Management private equity business, um, and that's going to be focused in South Africa and the UK. Traditionally, as you know, Westbrook is a principal private equity business, and we, we have a long pedigree on that side of things. And I think for us to really be a true alternative asset manager, we need to include private equity in, in the mix. Um, and, and that's kind of part of my responsibility now is to find transactions for me principally in the UK that will be attractive to our investors and again along with the theme is allowing people who wouldn't normally have access to these type of transactions and and providing access to them in kind of private equity and I guess the other other alternative asset management classes that we have. Yeah I, I just want to come in there because I mean you, you mentioned anecdotally that you know being up in the UK versus South Africa is a slightly different nuance to the private equity space. Uh, is that from an investment perspective? Is it from a, a network perspective? You know, quite often we see these kinds of markets tend to be characterized by insiders and outsiders. Uh, you know, how do South Africans plug into the UK in that particular space? And are you looking for investments for South Africans in the UK? Or are you also looking at investments in South Africa for UK investors? I'll maybe cover off the, the last part of the question first. So we are looking for UK assets for South African investors um, as the, the target there. And I would say that South Africa, my experience anyway, the South African private equity market is very much an insider market. Most of the, the private equity deals that happen are either through personal relationships or a network that's been built um, and, and actually a long-established relationship with the management team or the selling shareholder. Whereas in the UK, it's a, it's a very delineated market. So everything happens through advisors or brokers there. There's a joke, even an off-market deal is done through an advisor. So even if it's kind of a bilateral deal uh, that you found, inevitably there will be an advisor or broker in the mix there. So it's a very different origination network that you have there versus in South Africa which has been a good learning for me. Um, and uh, I can tell you, I've sent lots of cold emails and done lots of cold calls in, in a very short period of time. But I must say they are incredibly receptive to, to new people entering in the market. And I think luckily Westbrook has a really established well-known brand in the, the UK already, which has helped me kind of get a foothold in and, and kind of one step forward. But they've been incredibly receptive and we, we're already seeing really good opportunities and building up a great pipeline there. Sounds incredibly interesting, Rob, a bit of an adventure for sure. I think for those who maybe aren't as familiar with the concept of private equity, and we won't spend long on this, but you know, it's one of those terms people hear, but they don't always understand what it actually means, how it fits in on a spectrum of like venture capital at one end, perhaps, and you know, public markets on the other. You know, if you were stuck in a relatively long elevator ride with someone who wanted to know what private equity is, how would you take that uh, that awkward minute to explain to them what it is you're actually doing out there? It's actually quite simple what we do, and really we invest in the equity of good established private businesses that are profitable and have a history and track record of cash flow is kind of the, the nice and easy summary of it. So I think if you if you nuance that with venture capital, often those businesses are, are loss making or pre-cash generation. This is different to that and there must be a track record and it must be an established business with that track record. Um, and obviously compared to the listed market, it's these are kind of private businesses, so off market um, where the general, I guess, public don't have access to that. And I think a strange misconception about private equity, and I think it's because there's 
this unknown element to it where people don't have access to it is they, they see it as, as a more risky asset class than, say, buying a share on the JSE or London Stock Exchange. In, in my view, in my experience, I think it's actually the complete opposite, where if you're buying a share on the JSE, you can get an analyst report or a broker report and you can look at the annual report and watch the presentation online. But really, that's the access that you have to that company and management team. Whereas in private equity, you get to do a real due diligence on the company and you get to know the management team intimately. And through that, I think there's an incredible risk mitigation factor that comes in where you're much closer to the asset um, that you're actually acquiring versus buying a share on the JSC. Mo, that's where we got it wrong when we pitched Magic Markets Premium to James is he's looking for loss-making, pre-cash flow. We're actually in the right place now because we are not any of those things. So, Rob, we can chat to you about Magic Markets Premium, give you a hard pitch and wait for you to say no politely like James did and then just move on with the questions. I think, he Mo. said he made you an offer and you, you guys were just too <laughs> expensive for him. He couldn't, couldn't afford the pricing. He's, he's lying. He's lying. But, uh, you know, it's all, all a lot of fun. <laughs> just no. James, James would never lie. <laughs> you know, just speaking of tech, Rob, I have one more question, then I'm going to let Mo ask you some really cool macro questions. And, you know, venture capital is very heavily focused on tech. And I think that's because venture capital is looking for stuff that can scale really quickly, go global. And it's that whole power law story of in a portfolio, a certain number will actually fail outright. Some will hopefully get really big. And when you come out in the wash, you actually come out with an attractive return across a portfolio. It's actually a completely different way of thinking too private equity, which often looks at more traditional industries as well, you know, I, I, mainly because you're looking for stuff that has dependable cash flows, often because you're looking to put debt, I would imagine, into some of those structures. I don't know if it's the same in the UK as it certainly is in South Africa, and debt ideally needs some fixed assets there to make the debt manageable. It needs dependable cash flows. So I think from your side, you know, what sort of sectors are you looking at while you're there in the UK in this private equity strategy and what might some of those deal parameters look like you know what sort of things are you wanting to find yeah absolutely so i think i mean tech and software can fit within a private equity ambit um kind of the more established players and, and obviously there are professional service players who provide services to that industry that that are that are really well known and and are growing quite quickly and and there are some specialist funds that focus on those types of assets uh, certainly in south africa there's one that's well known and and in the UK there's there's loads and and that's certainly the flavor of the month in the UK kind of similar to VC kind of SaaS annuity earnings things like that and the multiples they're paying are, are quite scary I mean um, on a, a relative term guys are paying 14 to 15 times uh, EBITDA for those businesses um, which uh, from a South African context is almost unheard of and, and even from a UK perspective is considered expensive. I think we are far more traditional in our approach um, and the kind of sectors that we, we look at and I think maybe what's worth touching on is there's a few different types of private equity investors that you get. So you can get a pure financial private equity investor and and what they will do is they will buy a good steady business that's kind of growing um, organically at maybe inflation inflation plus a bit. Um, they will put gearing into those assets and they will let the the, the kind of de-gearing effect take place over the term um, that they, they hold the assets, so probably six to eight years um, as, as kind of a norm. And, and when they exit, hopefully the business has then grown, um, they've de-geared the business, and that really is what generates their return on a combined effect. On the other side, you get more strategic uh, private equity investors 
who kind of take a more active role in the business. Um, and, and we'll look at a few different things. So maybe it's consolidating a fragmented market. So a, a kind of uh, a market with a number of small niche players that you can buy together or a roll-up. Uh, maybe you buy a number of different businesses that are related um, in a certain product set or serving a certain industry. And that's really how they generate the return is, is growing through either integration or or through consolidating a market so using kind of MA as as the growth factor um, and and I would say that we are probably more inclined to be towards the latter part of that we we like fragmented markets we like buy and builds um, we like uh, niche sectors that are probably unsexy and and not where the rest of the capital flows are going so I think for us, a big shift is coming from South Africa and the valuation multiples we know already arriving in the UK with low interest rates and, and relative more capital, the valuations are higher there. So it is something for us to get used to. But I think we will probably be a bit more cautious in how we approach doing any acquisitions, just as we kind of learn the market, get get to understand the valuations and, and to see where the economy is going as well. So I think we'd be kind of your more, as you say, traditional businesses that you can put some gearing into it um, and, and kind of look at these growth opportunities either through M&A or through, through consolidating uh, markets or integration. So I almost want to rewind a little bit here. And you mentioned, you know, this perception around risk and how private equity is perceived as being higher risk, but in fact, it's, it's not necessarily higher risk. And you've touched on the whole debt issue, for example. So gearing type private equity investments versus more strategic players like yourselves. Two things. One, we find ourselves in a rising interest rate environment. This is obviously going to start filtering through in terms of valuations, in terms of the ease of liquidity in the market. And that's going to impact two things. It's going to impact valuation. It's also going to impact activity and deal flow. So maybe just some high level thoughts on what that what's going to happen in that space. There's another one that I want to just discuss on the risk side. And that is that the perception of high risk is also tied to liquidity. Now, ironically, we've seen very volatile listed markets. We've seen listed markets where companies don't make money, don't make cash flows. In that context, private equity might actually make a heck of a lot of sense. But what about the liquidity and the tie-ups? Because I think a lot of times people tell themselves they're investors. Investors should be in it for the long term. Private equity for me is actually true investment because it's tying you in to the entire investment thesis. How much of the liquidity risk premium translates into actually executable and realizable alpha for, for investors in your view. The the outlook in terms of interest rates and possibly a recession coming either to South Africa or to, to the UK or both is both an opportunity and an additional risk factor to, co- to consider in your evaluation. So if we break that down, I think on the, the opportunity side, I think there are a number of private equity investors or family offices that have deployed a lot of capital into the UK and South Africa over the last few years, particularly in the UK. They've built up big portfolios and I think no one really anticipated that we would end up in a position where we are now with raising interest rates, uh, inflation at uh, at kind of growing levels and, and looking to be there for the long term um, and a slowing economy. I think they're going to be in a phase of portfolio management where they're going to have to really concentrate on the existing portfolio, make sure that they are repaying the debt, that they're not in trouble and that they continue to grow. 
where is that an opportunity for us? I think we we are a group with investors who have capital and are seeking to deploy that capital. Um, and if our competitors are focused kind of on the existing portfolios and less so on the front end and doing new opportunities, that creates space for us to to get into the market and, and really deploy our, our investors' capital there. The converse to that is also that with these cycles, people also realize that not everything goes up all the time. And uh, for, for owners and shareholders and businesses, it, it raises the risk factor for them too. So possibly someone who wasn't looking to sell their business or bring in a partner now looks at it and says, sure, maybe I should actually de-risk a bit, bring in another private equity uh, partner. And often owners and entrepreneurs are lonely in what they do. They don't have a broad management team around them to conquer and, and go forth through these troubled times. And, and having a partner to deal with it and someone with experience is, is often something that they are seeking just to, to get out of that lonely space that they're in um, to kind of uh, confront everything. So I think it creates opportunity on two sides. One, there's less competition. And two, there are, are more opportunities for us to, to actually look at and, and unlock. And on the liquidity side, I think... Certainly in South Africa, liquidity in private equity is is a much bigger concern than in the UK. So I think if you look at where South Africa was in private equity 10 to 15 years ago, many of the international private equity funds were here. You could sell any size business. You could list a business. I think where you are now, there, there are very few listings happening on the JSE. And obviously those that do happen need to be of a significant scale. Um, and from the private equity side, there is a big gap in in the market from kind of mid to large businesses. So just before the listing space really opens up uh, to the mid mid tier where the international private equity funds used to play but have left the market. Um, and that, I think, is going to create a liquidity issue in South Africa where a number of the, the private equity funds who've built really good successful businesses are actually going to struggle to exit them in their fund time frame. So probably does lend itself to, to kind of longer term holds for them that they will need to, to manage with their, their shareholders and, and LPs. In the UK, I do think it's different that there there is such a deep liquid market of investors that uh, it is less of a concern. I think even in in kind of the GFC, if you're willing to take a price cut, you could probably still sell an asset in the UK. Um, it's just how much you're willing to to sell for. Um, I think with us, I think we're very lucky in terms of our investor base that they really trust us um, and and believe that we can make the right call as to to these these opportunities. And I think they would back us in an event that if it wasn't the right time to sell, that they would be happy to to roll and, and go for a longer period with us to to get to the right point to sell to maximize value. So hopefully that kind of covers off the liquidity question that you you were asking. Maybe I can comment there, Rob, and something we've seen on the JSC in recent years is these private equity funds that have listed, which then kind of goes against the point of private equity and it confuses people. But the point is they invest in private companies and they've created these so-called permanent capital structures by being listed and the way they've tried to or the reason they've done that is to avoid a scenario where you know their investors want the money out after seven years there may not necessarily be liquidity at that time it may be a bad time to sell in the market and the theory is well list the fund and then if someone wants to sell out they can sell out whenever they want and the fund can effectively hold the underlying assets forever seemed like a really good idea at the time five years ago when a lot of these things listed at wonderful valuations often at a premium to book on the JSE, 
And as that turned around and it became a discount to book, you know, people were 20, 30% underwater, even though the underlying assets are actually fine, just the way they are valued by the public markets swung around in a very nasty way. So this hasn't done any favors for the kind of classic JC exit. You know, it's not great to go and list an investment holding company now. It's not easy to go and list anything at the moment. And that's why we're seeing this dearth of new listings. It's quite sad, but that's how the market works. No, it is, it is very sad. I think with those listed private equity vehicles or investment holding company type vehicles, I think really what needs to happen there is they need to recycle the cash. I think if investors can see that they put the money in on listing and this was the promise and seven years later there is actually a big dividend that comes out because they've exited an asset at above the book value that was held at, possibly those discounts will narrow and I guess the shareholder belief in those types of structures will will be a bit closer and kind of create a bit more liquidity. Unfortunately, I think just there's the, the lack of depth and liquidity in those shares also doesn't help. I think if you you're trying to get out of those shares not many buyers which also creates kind of further discount to the the whole uh, picture which is completely delinked to the actual underlying investments that the those entities hold also doesn't help and the remuneration package is enormous and you have a scenario where a few execs are making a fortune and people then take that off the valuation as you must you work that out as a you know perpetual number and you and you take it off and that's where your discount to nav comes from it's all in the mats really yeah i think an incredible incredibly powerful thing is transparency around fees and costs and unfortunately some of those listed vehicles are, are quite opaque as to who's eating at what level and how much um, of, of the whole pie so that certainly doesn't help the picture I think transparency for investors and shareholders creates confidence and trust and allows people to take a real educated view on the picture. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's actually a very nice way to square it because right at the start, we discussed how South Africa is a market of insiders and outsiders, and the UK is a little bit wider than that. And and these things we've just discussed now play into those market dynamics. It also plays into the fact that there's this abundance of capital, as you indicate, in developed capital centers like the UK, like the US. Uh, and I think that does change the structural nature of private equity and how you play in that space, as you've indicated, Rob. Something I want to just touch on, because this also links into that point, is the point around deal size. So a couple of, again, multi-pronged questions here. One is, what's your ideal deal ticket size for yourselves at Westbrook right now? And specifically, what I'm going to try and get to here is, do you think that there's a sweet spot in terms of deal size based on your approach as strategic investors, whether that's a roll-up or a consolidation strategy? What is that sweet spot? Uh, and is there a, a point where either on the subscale or being too large, where the ability to add alpha just from the kind of where you're playing on that deal ticket size gets eroded materially? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we, we absolutely have an ideal ticket size and it has a number of attributes towards it. And, and maybe it's worth while covering off the market size question first, which will answer part of the second question and, and where we play. So in the UK specifically, there is a very tiered market. So, and from what I've seen kind of being on the ground the last few months is that up to 10 million EBITDA is kind of two to 10 is very much the lower mid market space. And this is million pounds, 10 million pounds to 50 million pounds is kind of the mid market space. And then 50 and above starts to get to kind of mid to large and the large buyout funds. And, and really what has happened over time is that many of the smaller private equity players have shifted up to kind of that 10 to 50 pound space. 
And for them to really make fees and make it worthwhile and get scale, they need to raise larger funds, which means that they play at the bigger, bigger place. Um, for us, I think we, we're very lucky in that we're quite a niche alternative asset management business. So we focus on that two to 10 space. Um, so two million pounds to 10 million pounds uh, EBITDA. Um, and, and we find that there's less competition there because a lot of the, the larger, more formal private equity players play above that space. The other thing it creates is, uh, coming back to your liquidity question, it creates a market to exit to. So if we can buy a business that's making two to five million EBITDA and get it to 10 million EBITDA, the, the number of buyers that we can sell it to you from a trade perspective, it becomes worthwhile for a trade player to look at the business at that level. And from a private equity perspective, there are just so many more players to buy it. So, so at that level, there's a noticeable uplift in the actual valuation multiple that you can, you can get. I mean, it's, it's quite well researched and documented that there are these tiered levels in the UK that you, you, you get, which is something you don't really get in South Africa. I think if you're buying a business that makes 50 million rand EBITDA or 150 million rand EBITDA and it's in a certain sector and has certain characteristics, ultimately the multiple is going to be the same. Whereas in the UK, there's absolute price differential for getting to scale and size. I think that's exactly where I was trying to trying to go with that question is that, you know, given the market structure, there's there's this additional opportunity just based on where you're playing. So thanks for, for getting there. Rob, the question I really want to get to as well is, in which sectors are you seeing most of the opportunities right now? I mean, we've kind of touched on the whole thing that tech is the flavor of the month. You've touched on the fact that you guys like traditional businesses that actually make money. That might exclude a whole bunch of sectors for you. Where's, where's the real action in the private equity space in the UK as you're seeing it right now? From a private equity space in the UK, there, there's a huge, I, I guess, the, the larger private equity businesses and the capital flows are very focused on a few things. So ESG is one one area. So any business that is some link or could have a link to ESG is, is certainly flavor of the month. And tech or SaaS related businesses, so kind of very much software and tech, um, are, are the other key areas where a lot of the private equity funds are, are focused and a lot of the capital is flowing to and there are kind of other areas where there are roll-ups um, happening that, that kind of see some action, but those are certainly the two most identifiable in the UK. Um, I mean, to be clear, given all the capital is flowing into those, those two sectors, those are two sectors we will not play in, just because it becomes impossible for us to really compete um, and, and buy attractive uh, businesses at attractive multiples um, when you're competing against such big capital flows. So what we're really looking for and, and what we tell advisors when, we, when we're looking is kind of, you don't need to show us kind of the sexy businesses in the sexy industries that, that everyone else is looking at. We are happy to look at the other stuff um, that, that possibly the other private equity funds aren't as excited about, but are good growing businesses in fragmented markets that we, we understand quite well. Um, and I think we have a a slight advantage coming from South Africa in that South Africa has been a tough place to to build private equity and to do deals for a long time. For we've, got, we've had high interest rates, we've had inflation, we understand low growth scenarios as well. And I think we've got a slight advantage over our competitors there in that we know how to operate in those in those sectors and we we know how to buy businesses that are in the first cut of rough. They don't need to be on the fairway 
for us to to kind of get a par at the end of the hole. We can be in the first cut of rough and be a bit ropey, and but we know how to get from there to to kind of the pin at the end. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, uh, it's a slightly, maybe not exactly what you were asking for, but hopefully that covers it off. So Rob, just to update our ESG pitch before we go environmentally, Mo and I do this from our desk, so there's no carbon footprint at all. Socially, as you can clearly see, we react differently to the sunshine. That's the first point. The second point is we share a lot of knowledge with a lot of people, so that's a tick. And from a G perspective, we're both good oaks, as you know, so governance is fine. So again, if you just need that in the pitch deck, just let me know. But on a serious note, uh, before, we, before we call this and before I put you in an awkward scenario where you have to say no again, um, I think the important point to end off on is, you know, from a Westbrook perspective, the private equity part of the business is quite new. Uh, to our understanding, it's not like there's a fund available that people can necessarily invest in right now. So how do you want people to think about Westbrook as a private equity house in terms of maybe assets they would bring you? You know, what do you want people to take from this? Yeah, if people have opportunities and assets, uh, they should they should absolutely get in touch. And I think, um, as I said, we, we are building a a really good solid pipeline in the UK and I'm very confident we will be showing our investors opportunities in the very short term. So I think those opportunities will be coming. And again, I think just to reiterate what, what Dino, I think, has said on every podcast, and you probably think we're a broken record, I think as much as with anything else, I think it's important to build up a portfolio of, of assets. Um, and, and I think we would encourage that on the private equity side as well. So as and when we bring opportunities, we would encourage people to think of it as building up a portfolio and to kind of think that uh, we're probably going to be doing, I guess, up to five deals a year and to think of it in that basis and, and to build up their portfolio of, of unlisted private businesses in, in a developed market as they invest with us. I think that's the real opportunity is traditionally people have not had access, one, to private equity, never mind in a developed market. And we're trying to provide that access and, and unlock that for our, our investors and, uh, and potential investors. Yeah, thanks, uh, Rob. I think that's unfortunately all we have time for. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been fascinating. There's always so much more that we can unpack. Uh, and undoubtedly, I think that just gives us more scope to maybe, you know, invite you guys back on to to another pod sometime in the future. But for now, I think a lot for both us as well as our listeners and, and subscribers to to listen to, to digest, uh, to contextualize what I think is a very exciting space in the market. Uh, I think quite often we, we get sidetracked. We only focus on listed uh, capital markets. And I think there's a lot of opportunity, as we've highlighted with yourselves at Westbrook, uh, that there's a lot of opportunity in the unlisted space. So, Rob, again, thanks to you and the Westbrook team for sharing your perspectives on the private equity space. And we look forward to maybe inviting you back on a show sometime in the near future. Absolutely. Always happy to come back and been been great chatting to you both and look forward to listening to the, the other podcasts in the future. Thank you, Rob. Thanks to the team at Westbrook and we'll uh, see you guys soon. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.